just want you. Thank you, Lord, so much for this Sunday. Thank you, Lord, so much for this time. We pray, oh God, that we would not only be in your presence as bystanders, as observers, Lord, but Lord, we want to dine with you. Lord, we want to feast at your table. We want to lay in the lap of Abba, our Father. I pray, Lord, as we get into the word this morning that you would, in fact, meet with us, be with us, talk to us, share with us, enlighten us, inspire us as we delve into your word today. Lord, may you give us your peace that surpasses all understanding. A peace you envisioned for this world before time began. Give us your peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Glad you are here with us uh, today on this, our second Sunday of Advent. Uh, If you haven't, uh, do me a favor, just look around you. Um, if you haven't seen somebody uh, for, for a time or you, they may have been here. You may have been here all at the same time. You just may not have seen them. Just say, hey, it's nice to see you. All right. Just just give somebody a hey. Maybe you don't know them at all. But let's uh, make sure we all feel welcome this morning. Amen. Amen. We are caught up in this Advent season. And if uh, this type of season is new for you. It was new for me when I came here. Advent is typically the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. Uh, and each of these four weeks carries a theme each week. As Pastor Larry uh, talked about uh, last week, Christians have been celebrating Advent since the fourth or fifth century. And that word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus. Uh, which Pastor Larry taught us last week is a transliteration of the Greek word parousia. Uh, This word is that which is most often used in the New Testament scriptures to describe not necessarily Jesus's first coming and his birth, but his second coming. Uh, So for over a millennia, the church has been celebrating Jesus's coming that he has come and that he's coming again. When's he coming? Soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, So over these last four weeks, we over these four weeks, we symbolize each of these four things by lighting a candle each week, a candle for hope, a candle for peace, a candle for joy, and a candle for uh, love. And this week's theme, we're going to be talking about Peace. Is that all right with y'all? Peace. Peace. How many of you know what peace is? Um, This idea of peace, uh, it's very elusive. Everyone wants it, but no one can seem to quite hold it. 
Peace is a concept that uh, seeps into our reality in spurts and for seasons. So much so that some of us come up with our own ideas of what peace actually means. Some of you will take any peace you can get. We have a range for the most important kinds of peace. It's the peace that resonates with you. And it could be anywhere from household peace. You know, I just wish I had some peace and quiet. Yes, yes, yes. As your mother might say or as your spouse might say or father. Between parent and child, you may wish for peace. But for some of you, between child and child. Just wish, why can't my children get along? Amen. For others of you, peace may mean peace for the city, peace for the community. No more stolen catalytic converters. Amen. (laughs) And also, no more violence, no more killing. Certainly, peace can can mean the proper emphasis and focus on race relations in our country and across the world, reigning in the habits of the powerful. To abuse that power at the cost of the rights and dignity of marginalized and oppressed people across the world. Lord, can we just have some peace? What other human aspiration is so universally sought after? Yet so fleeting. Here one minute and gone the next. Peace can be established in many ways through through dialogue and mediation. It it can be established through settlement and, and treaty. Peace often follows war and conflict. But regardless of how we may go about trying to get peace in any of these forms by any human method, whether it's an extreme method of trying to get peace or a trivial one, the result is the same. Ultimately, that any peace driven by men will fail. That's the bad news. But I got good news for you here today. There is peace that we get to partake in right now. That is not fleeting because the perfect peace was provisioned through the Prince of Peace, Jesus. Won't you stand on your feet with me as we read our anchor text, Luke 2, and we'll begin with verse 8. Let's all read it together. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly... Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. 
When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, it was time to circumcise the child. He was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Amen. From uh, this idea, this theological emphasis I'm going to talk from you today, Jesus himself is peace. He is the difference between a noble but fragile and fleeting human sentiment and a tangible present future eternal reality. You may be seated. Let's first talk about what's this peace that I'm referring to. It, it's, it's most quantified and characterized by, by the Hebrew word. You may have heard it, shalom. Um, and, and what does that concept communicate? It's the desired state of harmony and communion between two parties, particularly characterized by a covenant. You may see it in the Bible uh, uh, referred to as a covenant of peace. Uh, this word shalom, its root uh, carries with it the idea to be whole or complete. Uh, shalom. There's, there's, there's two ideas in which it, it, it manifests itself uh, typically in the Old Testament that, that there's a true peace, a true shalom and a false Peace, a false shalom that uh, uh, in Isaiah 26, three, it says you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. In other words, shalom, wholeness, wellness in the Old Testament it is best understood as a conditional benefit of the faith of a conditional benefit of the faithfulness of the people to their covenant. With God. So, in other words, uh, if you trust in God, if your mind is stayed on God, if you listen to His commandments, you lean into and experience shalom. But false prophets uh, uh, might, might, might try to convey a, a false peace that, that, that peace is, should be expected unequivocally, with, without conditions, that there's nothing that I need to do, perhaps, in order to enjoy God's peace because I'm already a part of the covenant community. I get it by default. That's what was being communicated in the Old Testament by these false prophets. And this is what God had to say about that message. They have healed the wound of my people lightly. <clears throat> saying, peace, peace 
when there is no peace. In other words, instead of or, or by not telling the truth of God to the people about the consequences and ramifications of their sin, they hurt more than they helped. That's what false teaching, that what, that's what false prophecy, that's what false belief will often do is that in some ways it will make up something that sounds rationally correct. But in reality, in God's reality, it actually doesn't allow you to live up to the potential and keep and experience God's best for your life, his shalom. The true prophets understanding that the failure of the people to live up to the terms of the covenant would would result in a loss of peace. Also, okay, so also point it forward to its return. So, so in other words, the fact that we have prophets in the Old Testament communicating to the people of Israel that peace would be lost upon their disobedience also points to the fact that returning to obedience means a return to shalom. That, that God is always ready. God is quick to forgive. That God chastens us, that God is is running after us, ready always with his gracious love to forgive us. Amen. Uh, Do we not yearn for that which we have tasted and yet to be filled? Have you ever had a meal that just set your taste buds on fire? And uh, you, you say, I cannot wait to get back to that place. More, more than not, that food costs a little bit of money. Amen. Uh, would you be able to, to buy that meal for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Yes. Uh, probably, well, somebody said yes. <laughs> but probably not. You may not be able to afford. So it's something that you get a taste of. Uh, but it doesn't fully satiate. It doesn't fully fulfill you. You don't sometimes and don't judge me. OK, sometimes I let my son borrow my iPhone. Amen. <laughs> yes, I said it. Sometimes I let him borrow my iPhone and I let him watch a show. OK, don't judge me. OK. So, you know what he says to me, though, when I tell him that it's that it's time to take the iPhone away. But daddy, my, my son is good, too. He is dramatic. He will throw himself on the floor, cry real tears. Some, some of y'all, 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 y'all can tell when kids are fake crying. You cannot tell me when Jude is fake crying because it is always a real cry. <laughs> so I get back the iPhone. And he says, he says to me, daddy, I can't wait. What well, can't you wait for? Son? I can't wait to be a grown up so I can have a phone like you and mommy. Isn't that what peace is like? That we can often get a taste. That there's often a taste of peace. Especially man-initiated peace. Peace that we try to facilitate in our own understanding, in our own strength, in our own way, through our own reason, in our own rationalization. Even though our spouse has a totally different rationalization and a totally different personality and our friends have a totally different rationalization and a totally different personality and our boss has a totally different rationalization and a totally different understanding, we still try to manufacture peace in our own way of thinking, in our own strength. And 
we may be able to taste, but it's not fulfilling. The Israelites in the Old Testament had an experience of the very real and the very comprehensive shalom, peace of God, but it was only a taste. They were too immature to follow through on the conditions of God's covenant to be able to experience that peace in full. So when their, their, their leaders and nobles and many family, when they, when they were sent away into Babylon exile in the 6th century, they, they looked ahead to a time and to a place and to a future when that peace could be firmly established. Uh, this, this might otherwise be known as they looked forward to the eschaton. They looked forward to, to a future, to an age in which uh, uh, God would establish peace firmly with Israel. You ever look back on a time in your life when you said, whoo, that was a great season. And say, I want to get back there. And in some ways, uh, they're rehearsing that same sentiment that, that they're looking forward to a time and to a place when again, a God would establish peace with his people. So what does God do? God sends his prophets to encourage him through their scriptures. God puts his word in the mouths of preachers in the Old Testament to help the people to, to put deposits of hope into a future peace that they could experience. Look at Nahum chapter 1 verse 15. It says, look there on the mountains, the feet of one who brings good news, who proclaims peace. That word baser, uh, it means proclaim or, or bring Good news, and oftentimes it's coupled uh, with with uh, the other word that's listed below it, tov, and it, and that word just simply means good. So you might get the idea that it means good news. That basar is just news. That any news is good news. But that's not what's being communicated by basar. It's it's that the original Hebrew language places the emphasis on the word to let you know that that news is inherently. Good. In, in, in other words, that, that when this word in particular is being used, you can be confident that what the writer or, or the speaker is trying to say is that this is news of victory, that this is news of triumph, that, that this is news uh, that, that you want to hear. And the other good that Tove is just saying, OK, this is good, good news. We, we got that good, good news for you. We, we, we want to make sure you know that not only is the news good, but it's good, good. Amen. Uh, 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 Isaiah 57, 52, 7 communicates a similar sentiment. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. There's that word again by who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Amen. Uh, Isaiah 9 and 6 says, for to us, a child is born to us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of Amen. peace. Amen. Amen. 
These are our words that God has put into the mouth of his servants to communicate hope for a future peace for a people whose peace was fleeting. Is your peace fleeting this morning? Are you experiencing a situation? Have you walked in these doors of this church with some unrest conflict on your mind or in your family? Do you need peace this morning? Well, uh, you can take uh, some resolve in the fact that uh, many centuries ago, God put his word into the mouths of prophets of a future peace that was coming. And you can be sure that that peace is coming near through the person of peace. I love the way Luke is setting up uh, Jesus's birth and how it, it, it's setting on this idea of, of the coming es- uh, eschatological peace, the coming kingdom of God is another idea that's very synonymous to that one. And, and, and Luke says this in, in Luke 1 and verse 46, it says, and Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. She says that that God is uh, her savior. That is the person that she has identified as the one who will uh, save her. And, and Zechariah, uh, uh, Luke's, uh, Luke says this about what Zechariah's song was. His father, Zechariah, uh, this is talking about uh, how uh, Zechariah was the father of John the Baptist. And you guys may or may not know the story of Zechariah, but he uh, doubted whether or not God could impregnate impregnate he and his wife because they were old Uh, and and they had been barren for a particular time and God shut his mouth because when the angel spoke and told him what was going to happen he asked additional questions And, and, and the angel said because you have not believed the word of the Lord your mouth is shut until it has come to pass amen uh, let it not be us that when God speaks to us about what will be, that we have to ask more questions, that, that we have to ask for more signs, that we have to ask for additional or supplementary information. No, when God says we can believe and we can trust on the word of God. Uh, so, so this is what Zechariah had to say after, uh, uh, after his son, John the Baptist, is born. Uh, uh, verse 67 in Luke 1 says, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to the people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Uh, So he says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. So he calls God of Israel his Lord. And then he says, ultimately, the the purpose in this in, uh, in, in what God was doing was to guide the people of the Lord, guide their feet into the path of peace. Uh, it's very interesting that, uh, that, that Luke is choosing these very, uh, uh, not these people of lesser consequence. He's not choosing chief priests or people in the, the Pharisaical movement necessarily. He, he's not choosing people who are high in title, but he's now, uh, Luke is opened up by addressing how God chooses Mary and Zechariah, perhaps people who you might consider 
insignificant to bear witness now to the coming of the greatest events up to that point in history. That Zechariah and his wife, older, ashamed, had not demonstrated the ability to bear children. This was probably Elizabeth's highest cultural expectation to bring a child into this world, wasn't able to do it. Mary, a young, single virgin woman, no claim to property, no title, being chosen to bring forth the child of promise, the Messiah. Now in our anchor text, we rest in chapter two and verse eight. We have these shepherds. Amen. These shepherds. This idea of shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Uh, shepherds in the Bible tend to get a good reputation, right? Pastors, amen, are, are shepherds, hallelujah. You know, uh, it's, it's a highly revered position, but really in reality in that time, a shepherd was not a high up position. In fact, a shepherd might be the lowliest of, of positions. You're sleeping outside of a home. You're sleeping with the animals that you're looking after. Perhaps sleeping next to their dung. And all the rest of their waste and excrement. Amen. That's nasty. But that's a shepherd's job. More often than not, shepherds probably would have been outcasts or foreigners. People who were overlooked. They were doing a job that no one else in society would be caught doing. Required you to live outside. And to stay outside. So you probably felt outside. I hope what you may deem to be insignificant people who may seem insignificant, places that you may think are insignificant. I hope you don't miss God moving in the margins. Because in the margins, God dwells. In the margins, God lives and is already at work. I heard it said one time that Jesus visits the ghetto, amen? amen? That Jesus doesn't come to us in a lofty type of way. I'm getting ahead of myself. But God lives and dwells in the margins. It says, uh, the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. He says, I bring to you news that will cause great joy for all the people. Now, now, this word, uh, good news, um, uh, it's, it's, it's the word in which we get our word for gospel, uh, euangelion. It, it, it communicates that same uh, idea that we talked about from the Old Testament, Baser. 
And it's looking forward to uh, the coming or the announcement, okay, of the coming peace and settlement and establishment of the kingdom of God. You know, uh, in our society today, there, there is that saying. We've said it before, any news is good news. But, uh, but that's not what Evangelion is trying to say. It's communicating that same idea from the New Testament that this news at its roots, that this news on the base level is good news. Any way you shake it, any way you come about it, it can only be good news. A savior who would inaugurate a time of completion, a time of, of wholeness, a time in which we are returning to an idyllic way of life. It's interesting that you got angels testifying. You got angels holding a testimony service. This angel shows up and says, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Today. Today. Um, in other words, uh, the, the, uh, the, there was a time that the Old Testament prophets, they looked forward to the time in which peace would come. And this angel shows up on the scene and his message is you don't have to wait any longer. Today's the day. How many of you know that today's the day as well for us? Today is the day in which you get to experience the peace of God. Today is the day that you don't have to wait any longer. Uh, you don't have to be dependent on man-made plans. You can depend on the plan of God. A savior has been born to you. Interesting how uh, the, the term that Mary just a chapter earlier had attributed to God. She said, God is my savior. And now Luke is saying a savior has been born. Uh, this child is the Messiah of the, the Lord. Uh, this term Lord had also just been used a chapter earlier by Zechariah saying that God is Lord, that, that God, uh, Jehovah, Yahweh is Lord. And now these two same ideas are be, being communicated about a child that is to be born. I don't understand how you can read the Bible and not come away with the idea that it's saying right here in plain uh, symbolism and language that Jesus is God because he is Savior and Lord. The child, the Messiah. Uh, the, the Christos, uh, that, 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 that he has come and he is both Savior and Lord. And it says, this will be a sign to you that you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Very, very interesting. We come from this incredibly high language in which uh, the angel is telling them that the message that the country, that the nation has been waiting for, that this eschatological peace that seemed the far way off, this peace is now arriving. The Messiah is entering the scene. The king has come. The Lord will redeem Israel, and he's going to come to you in a manger. Lowly. And as a child... Eschatological peace. 
establishment of a future age of peace that's settled, established forever and eternal child in a food trough for animals. This is the thrust of the Christmas message that Jesus enters in. And he doesn't enter in demanding attention. He doesn't enter in asking you to believe on him for the things that he has amassed. Doesn't ask for you to trust and to believe on him for the things that he has in his hands. But he asks for you to believe in him because of the price that are on his hands. He comes empty handed. And he leaves with holes in his hands. He comes into the world with nothing. And he leaves with less. That Jesus enters into our human status and situation not concerned about his own status. But much more concerned about yours. Much more concerned about how you end up, where you end up, how you are loved, how you are comforted, where you lay your head, how you are fed. But the son of man has no place to lay his head. He was abandoned when he was arrested. He came into this world and was wrapped in swaddling cloths. Yet his robe was stripped from him on the cross. And he was laid bare naked on a cross. Many of us have stories of those who've loved us. They've been there for us through the muck and through the mire. For many of us, that's our spouses, it's our parents, it's our brothers and our sisters. People who've had our backs when life was its most devastating. And that's good news. But there's better news that Jesus knows the very depths of your soul, the dark places of your soul, the things that nobody else knows that if they knew they just might not be with you through the muck and the mire. They just might not come alongside you to support you and to hold you. If they really knew your thoughts, what you think about them from time to time. How you lied, how you cheated, not only on them, but on yourself. Jesus knows it all. And he has your back. 
And he came into this world for that so that you would know that. Put on flesh. This body that wastes away, experienced heartache, experienced pain, experienced loss. This humility of our Savior. thing is, is that Jesus didn't come just to save us from hell. He didn't come just to save us from the wrath of God. Deliverance is not the only thing in mind when we're talking about shalom, when we're talking about peace. Verse 13 said, suddenly a great company of the heavenly angels of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. These two uh, declarations of praise, they, 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 they parallel one another and they, they tell of a place and they tell you of the condition of the person in that place. Uh, glory to God in the highest heaven. Glory to God in the highest heaven. Glory, in, in other words, glory is that luster. You know, my, my, my mom used to make me when I was a kid, she would, she would make me uh, get down and, and clean the woodworks. Amen. Look, the baseboards all around the house. So I had the polish and a little white thing and, I would, and a little toothbrush. I would go around the whole house and you wipe that thing clean. You'd be so proud, be so proud of myself. That thing is shining. You know, you, you know it's clean because it, it has a high gloss on there. Well, that, that's the idea of glory. Uh, that, 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 that glory is, is, is indicative of the fact that, that God's presence is shown up there. Uh, you can't mistake anything else but, but, uh, but for God's presence. And, and so it's saying glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now, 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 this is the thing. The peace is moving categories. This is, this is a pronouncement of, of a paradigm change uh, uh, in the world that, that peace, God's peace was once expected. That once it was a long way off, that once it was a far way off, that once it was just a dream, that once it was just a vision, that at, at one time it was just a future. But no, 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 it says, and on earth, peace. It, it means that peace is now commencing. Why is it commencing? Because the Savior has Come, Jesus has come and stepped into our world that, that peace is not only just a dream, that peace isn't only something that, that I can experience when Jesus has come back for his second coming, but peace is now inaugurated, that I can experience the peace of God right now that surpasses all understanding. You think I shouldn't have peace. What I went through in 2021 or 2022 should have drawn, should have gotten me crazy. I should uh, have experienced or I, I should have going every which way, but I was able to stay on the path that God set me on. I was able to keep my mind. I was able to keep when all else around me was messed up. It wasn't a turn and in a tizzy. God kept me in his peace. 
And guess what? That's a peace you can only get through a person. That's the person of peace because otherwise you're depending on your own understanding and that own understanding is going to fail you. That own understanding is going to be fleeting. That own understanding is going to miss, is going to miss out on a lot of things. But if you have Jesus, if you believe on Jesus and trust on Jesus, you have perfect peace. Isaiah 52 7 says this. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together. You ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. If I could just put 25 cents in the parking meter right there. Or pull up the the Go Mobile app, whichever one. But this is communicating to us. It's a picture of people who are watching from a tower. Watchmen who are waiting to see the messenger who's coming. And is the messenger coming with a word of victory? Is the messenger coming with a word of, 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 the, of defeat? What is the messenger, what is the messenger bringing? And what this is communicating is that one day there's going to be a messenger who's going to come and they're bringing forth a message of victory. Do you believe this morning that Jesus has come and that he has come not with a message of defeat, but right now in this moment, he has provided us the victory. He has brought us his peace. Close here, this last thing. Uh, There was this idea during that time of something called the Pax Augusta, which then became the Pax Romana. And it's just this idea of the fact that because Rome had such control over much of the world that they were able to establish a certain degree of peace. So people would actually not be offended by coming into the Roman Empire oftentimes because of the citizenship and the rights and privileges they were granted. That provided them with some semblance of safety and security. In a lot of ways, we can feel that same way too in America, can't we? That our country provides us and provisions us with safety and peace. But it's really Jesus. Jesus is the procurer of peace. Because all other governments, all other systems will pass away. Just like FTX, cryptocurrency, the American dollar one day is is going to whatever. It can all fade away. But what, what won't fade away is the person and the work of Jesus Christ.
Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we love you. We bless you, Lord. We're grateful for your peace, God. We're grateful, God, that you have settled things for us. There's nothing more that we have to do than believe on you. And you change us from the inside out. And Lord, that daily renewal, that daily reminder of who you are, what you've done, how you fought for us. You lived the life we couldn't live, died the death that we should have. And Lord, in you, we get to live a life full of peace. In your precious name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.